everyone. Welcome to The Call-Up. My name is Sean Kelly, your arts and entertainment editor for Connect Savannah. This is episode number two. Yeah, this is going to be um, kind of a shorter thing this time. Um, I've been uh, a little bit under the weather. Didn't really have a voice for a while. Um, so basically deeming a lot of the interviews I would do <laughs> unusable for audio. But um, happy to be back and doing this. You know, I'm going to try to do it as much as I can, like I've said before, and um, it's just fun to kind of put these out in this format. So thanks for listening. Thanks for everyone who um, gave great feedback for the first episode. It was really, really fun putting that together. I'm looking forward to doing more, like, longer-form stuff. Um, but this one, we just have one interview for today. Um, and Bob Dylan's coming to town on Tuesday, November 6th, and I thought it'd be really cool to talk to somebody who's worked with him um, and I happen to be friends with a guy named Malcolm Byrne, who's an incredible producer. Um, I've known him since I was about 15, 14 or 15, I think, um, worked on a record that my band did. And, uh, he's sort of been something of like a mentor ever since. He's a good friend, um, an amazing guy. And he is probably best known for doing Emmylou Harris's Red Dirt Girl album from 98, 1998, um, and also work with the Neville Brothers and all these, all, uh, he's done everything, worked with everyone, um, and uh, was also sort of Daniel Lenoir's uh, engineer, uh, early, early on was kind of his protege, um, and so got to work on a lot of Dan's projects, including uh, a Bob Dylan record called Oh Mercy, um, which was sort of, and you'll, you'll hear Malcolm talk about this, was sort of like the, was sort of Dylan's resurgence after sort of a um, period of time where I think his output was a little bit um, spotty, uh, if for lack of a better term. And uh, Oh Mercy was sort of this kind of triumphant return for him. It, it was a really important album in his catalog and kind of marked a, I wouldn't say a return to form. It was very different than pretty much everything he did before and potentially everything he did since. Um, and uh, the combination of him and Dan was really, at the time, I think was really kind of buzzed about. And um, Daniel, Daniel and Y had just kind of gotten off of doing Joshua Tree, uh, the U2 record and like all that kind of stuff. So he was um, in some ways at sort of the peak of his career and, uh, Malcolm got to be part of the project and, um, you'll, you'll hear him talk about how it was a lot of, it was just him, Bob and Dan kind of working together as a trio in terms of, um, making the record. And, um, a lot of the times the core group was the three of them and Mark Howard, who was another engineer on the project, who's also been involved in a lot of Dan stuff along the way. And, um, Malcolm's just a really insightful guy and, um, and ha has just this really incredible perspective on music and um, has a really, like, inclusive sort of spontaneous way of working that I've always loved. Um, and I've admired him since I was a kid. Um, so it was, it's always really fun talking to him. It was great that he took some time out of his day to, to talk with me about Dylan and that particular project. It's actually been, I think, 29 years since Oh Mercy um, came out, so it was, it was just a really cool thing to talk to him. So uh, this is my interview with the great Malcolm Byrne on The Call Up. This 
so um yeah he's coming to town on on tuesday mm-hmm. so uh and you know i just thought it'd be cool to talk to somebody who's like who's worked with him and and so so i guess to to start um well you know you know uh, a valuable resource is actually that book that he wrote chronicles oh it's yeah a, yeah because there's actually a whole chapter devoted to the record that he and i've been Dan and Mark Howard worked on in New Orleans. Oh, cool! And, and uh, <laughs> you know, it's interesting to see his his perspective on the thing because, yeah. of course, you know, I've I've got mine because I was there. But sure. you know, I mean, there's there's a few interesting episodes there. But but uh, anyway, sorry, didn't mean to. No, no, no. You. That's a, that's actually uh, I haven't had a chance to read it, but I've I've yeah, that's a, that's a a very helpful suggestion for sure. But um. So, so to start, like, did you grow up listening to, to his like records or, or were you, were you a fan growing up and that sort of thing? Well, I mean, he, you know, Dylan was sort of ubiquitous in those days. I mean, when yeah. I was a kid growing up, you know, my parents were into the sort of the, the folk music scene a little bit, yeah. you know, not on the sort of protect, pro- professional level, but, you know, people would get together and have what were called folk ins since the sixties. Right. <laughs> but, you know, basically they would play sort of folk music and, and of course there was always going to be a few Dylan songs that just sort of fit into that. And so th- the sense that I always had about Dylan was that he, he'd, he'd sort of always been there. I mean, you know, it didn't occur to me that the guy was only about 22 when he wrote some of these songs. And, yeah. Which so, is amazing. So it's sort of interesting. Um, my dog's coming down the stairs. <laughs> it's all good. But, you know, so he, he was sort of, you know, there was Dylan and the Beatles, really. You know, yeah. those two two entities were fairly predominant in those days. And, and you know, and then as time went by, you know, Dylan's sort of come and gone in terms of his relevance, I yeah. suppose. Yeah. You know, in the sense that, you know, at, at a certain point in, in, in the 60s, he was sort of, like everybody sort of looked to him for the answers. And then I, I think at a certain point he said, you know what? I, I just write songs. I'm not, I'm not your guru. <laughs> right. You know, I'm not, I'm not responsible for the decisions you make in your life, you know? Yeah. Um, and then he sort of got into the Christian thing and, and then he kind of floundered around through most of the eighties. And I think at the point that he came to work with Dan Lanois, I think I think Bono had been talking to him and sort of pushing him saying, you know, Bob, you, you need to get back with it. You know, you need to, you need to work with somebody who, who can challenge you, you yeah. know, creatively and otherwise. And, 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 and I think Bono said, you know, there's one thing about Dan Lanois, he, he's not going to just let it go, you know, right? you know, he's going to push you. And, and so by the time we got into the studio in uh, what, sort of February, March of 1988, I think. Um, you know, he had a sort of, he would show up at the studio with a, a scroll of, of lyric sheets all sort of typed out. I think that's kind of what he does. He And he'd sort of come in with the lyrics, but play like two or three different ways the song could go, you know, be like, well, we could do it like this. Or we could, and I even have a recording. It's quite interesting hearing him playing, there's a track called most of the time mm-hmm. on, on that record. Yeah. And, and, and he said, well, you know, we could do it sort of like a Bob Dylan song. It's like most of the time. Like, <laughs> most of the time. And, you know, and, and, or we could do it like this. And, 
so it it came to me that the music was more of a vehicle for the lyrics. Yeah. Per, you know, some people write music and then they write lyrics over top of it. He just writes, he'll clearly, you know, he writes words. Yeah. <laughs> he's a poet. He's a poet. Sure. Right? So, yeah. And then the music is sort of to support the word, the, the lyric, you know, and even the melodies would sort of change. And But the other thing that was quite interesting at that time was that every time we'd do it in between takes, he would start playing these old standards, like we three, we're not alone. Even my echo, my shadow and me. <laughs> and it was, he, he was already fiddling around with that sort of, you know, now he's, he's actually done, like he did a whole record of Frank Sinatra stuff. That's right. Yeah. You know, and, and, and even at that time, like this is the most interesting thing actually, I think was, before we started the record, I kept saying to Dan, well, you know, have you heard anything? <laughs> and he said, well, you know, I went over to his house and he played me a little snip of one song and another. And and then about, I think it was about a week or so before we were supposed to start the record and a cassette arrived from Bob. And, you know, it was like, well, here's some material. I, I thought we were going to hear some demos or something, you know, <laughs> right. And, and we very excitedly went and put the cassette into the tape machine and on comes like Al Jolson, like I'm down on my knees to And wow. Bob, the only thing that was in the note was listen to this. You can learn a lot. <laughs> wow. And, and I, 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 I sort of didn't quite get it at the time, but as we continued to work, I, I realized I sort of made the connection like he sort of in terms of his delivery, <laughs> if you listen to Al Jolson and go back and listen to Bob Dylan, you can actually see this sort of weird delivery in terms of phrasing and intonation and sort of how the words come across. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, cause that's obviously what he grew up listening to. Is sure. Like Al Jolson, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Frank Sinatra, this kind of stuff. Right. And, um, I remember at one point, sort of maybe after a couple of weeks working, I, I sort of had this audacious idea in between takes. We're sitting around drinking coffee or whatever. And I said, so, Bob, like, who's your favorite songwriter? <laughs> you know, like, why not? Right. Like, yeah, that's a good. I think that's the reason. Uh, totally. Yeah. And he he immediately said, he said, Gordon Lightfoot, Chris Christopherson. And then there's this guy from the East coast up in Maine named Gordon Bach, B-O-K. Ever heard of him? I was like, nope, never heard of him. But it was interesting because the way he described, uh, you know, Gordon Lightfoot's process, he said, you know, I, I, I could never, he writes like perfect songs, but I couldn't write like him. I'd, I'd be dead by now. <laughs> wow. And I was like, what do you mean? And he goes, well, the way Gordon, you know, would write is he'd, literally sort of lock himself in a hotel room like kind of like that scene from apocalypse now at the beginning of the movie where yeah. you know uh, what's his name's just kind of going mental in his oh hotel yeah room. yeah and you know sort of like a bit like that you know and and to do to to do that every time you have to go make a record bob was like you know that that would that would have killed me you know <laughs> so so he, you know, he sort of has this different approach to it, but certainly wow. a whole lot of admiration for Gordon Lightfoot. And of course, Chris Christopherson. And, yeah. You know, I guess they were sort of friends for a long time and were in a movie together and things like that. But it was interesting, you know, so getting that 
perspective of mm-hmm. things. So, so, and then the other, the, the one last thing I'll say is that at one point he, um, he brought in a copy of, uh, it's a, it's a sort of folk music flyer that goes around once every sort of three or six months. And it, he's still really connected to that world, you know, like very, mm, as if like a lot of things in history had never actually happened to him right. personally. It's almost like that happened to some other guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's just sort wow. of this guy in the middle of it. You know, it's an interesting yeah. perspective. That that's yeah, it's that's that's like really interesting that he has that sort of like that he he doesn't feel as associated with it on a on a that personal level like it happened to him. What was his like what was his process like in terms like ma- like making that record? I mean, it's it's one of the like it's like 29 years I think since since it came out at this point and it's I think it is regarded as like like a turning point for him in terms of like being uh relevant again and, and that sort of thing in, at least in the mainstream sense, but like what was the process like? Did you all kind of know you were like at some point that it, you were doing something that was like oh yeah, this is like this is a special thing or this isn't, this is, you know, did it feel important? Well, <laughs> Dan, you know, Dan being Dan Lanois in, in his sort of own inimitable way. I remember maybe a day or two before we started the record and he, he said to me and, and Mark Howard, he says, you know what? I'm not going to be the guy who's going to make a bad Bob Dylan record. <laughs> this is going to be yeah. a good one. You know, so there was that sort of, slightly sort of heavy-handed egotistical aspect of Dan's personality but right. nonetheless the striving for something better and and you know not just average was, was sort of there and I think when Bob came to make the record I think he was feeling like a little lacking in inspiration mm-hmm. and I serious I su- seriously suspect that the you know the the, the vibe of being in New Orleans certainly sparked his creativity you know like he came i think that song there's one one of my favorite songs on the record is called man in a long black coat yeah and 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 it really you know feels like the kind of song you would write if you were sitting on your back porch or your front porch late at night or early in the morning when everyone's kind of asleep or, and the crickets are chirping and the winds sort of coming up and there's, you know, there's a certain feel to that vibe, you know, right. That, that certainly appeared in, into that song. And, you know, he may have mutated some other lyrics from another song into that atmosphere, but, but, uh, you know, I, I guess, you know, in a certain way, like that kind of sparked him to, 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 um, we, I mean, I think he just turned 50 at the time, which mm-hmm. at the time I remember thinking, wow, he's 50. He might as well be 100. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, who am I to say that now, you know? Right. But but at the time, you know, I guess that was kind of like, you know, am I at the end of my career or am I starting again? Am I re-envisioning myself? I mean, right. You know, I don't think that's a conscious, I don't think someone sits down and says, I'm going to well, maybe David Bowie, but not many other people. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. do you know what I mean? Like, right. there, what, it doesn't seem like he's that kind of guy. So, sure. But it certainly felt like that's kind of what was going on. Subconsciously, maybe there was a, like a subconscious level of that, maybe. Yeah. And, and also the thing, I mean, and Bono, you know, was absolutely right, you know, in terms of Dan, you know, Dan, 
there was a few conflicts i have to say and and it's even i don't mind discussing it because it's actually he wrote about it in in the chronicles book he talks about this kind of altercation that he had with dan Hmm. not a not a physical one but um you know at a certain point we were sort of 10 days or so into making the record and dan a lot of the tracks were just cut like we we did sort of two or three days with with um a little band the uh, well we did did one night with the rock and dopsy band which oh, was wow. cool yeah and then we we did a couple of nights with um willie green tony hall wow. uh and uh um mason ruffner oh wow came in with his band for one song um but then the rest the whole rest of the record was just usually dan and bob playing acoustic instruments me on bass or keyboard and just a sort of a 808 drum machine pulse you know yeah. like not even not even a beat just a, a, a floor stompy kind of feel yeah so a lot of the tracks didn't feel like i think bob was sort of freaked out with the fact that it wasn't just a bunch of guys playing on everything and it and i remember he, he came in one monday because we only worked like monday till friday and we always would start at sort of 10 30 at night and finish at about six in the morning holy shit um and uh and i suspected that he would go home and write lyrics after that and then probably sleep through the day you know very sort of old school rock and roll kind of person yeah um but i remember he came in one monday after the weekend and he i guess he played some things for some people and and he comes in and he was acting kind of like an asshole to be honest with you um kind of like he didn't give a fuck you know he wasn't that interested and and after sort of a an hour or two of this kind of behavior you know just kind of going yeah sure whatever kind of that almost like a child being being uh like almost very childish sort of behavior and Mm -hmm. And fine, and Dan, you know, was getting more and more frustrated. And finally, you know, Dan said to to Bob, you know, he goes, he goes, is there a problem? Like, I mean, is there something bothering you? Need to talk about, you know? And Bob just sort of like shrugged it off and looked at Dan, and you know, Dan's putting his all into this thing, you know, as we were all were. Yeah. But but Bob just says, yeah, you know. You know, if somebody wanted to hear a Bob Dylan song, they could listen to these songs. Yeah, it sounds like a demo. You know, there's no drums on anything. <laughs> and so he had, he had a problem with the 808 and stuff like that. Well, he just didn't he didn't quite get it at yeah. the time, you know. And 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 Dan, what Dan was trying to do was avoid the pitfalls of the old familiar. Right. You know, that's what Dan always tries to do. I sure. do that too. I'm sure you do. Yeah. You know, you don't want to just fall into the old habits and do the same old shit over and over, right? Right. Right. Out of laziness, actually, more more than anything else. And so you know. Anyway, so when when Bob said this to Dan, Dan fucking hit the roof like I'd never seen him flip out like that. He he stood up, he 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 had a na- a national dobra like a vintage old dobra. He he smashed that guitar over a fucking floor mo- monitor. He almost took out a chandelier. <laughs> but, wow! You know he's he's like yelling at Bob like I love you, I love your music, you know wah 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 wah. And he's just screaming away, and, and Bob's just like sitting there with this look on his face, like he's gonna die, you know. And then Bob just goes, "Come on, it's just a record." <laughs> <laughs> wow, you know, we're just making a record here. You know, it was, wasn't like 
you know, we're not in a writing the new, right. the revised New Testament. Right, here. yeah. <laughs> Holy so, shit. But anyway, it was funny because I, I kind of got really upset and I thought, fuck it, I'm out of here. And I went for a motorcycle ride and I thought, oh, this is going to be the end of it, you know. And then I came back like an hour later and they're working away like nothing happened. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Mark, Mark, Mark Howard sort of jumped on the mixing board. I came back in and sat back down. It was like nothing. But he wrote about it in the book. Yeah. So it's it's actually in there. So Wow. Uh, and and you know obviously you'll hear it from his perspective. Yeah, just... I was gonna say I'd like to like hear, see his perspective on that. That's, it's that I mean it speaks to sort of the, you know the, I guess maybe the, you you know I mean everybody has those moments when when you're making records or moments like that where it's like, you know you don't know where things are going or you're not comfortable with some sort of thing and somebody has an alternating perspective and and tensions kind of happen. I mean it it's interesting that it happens on that level too, you know? And oh, it happens on every yeah. level. I mean, you know, some of the biggest bust ups in history were, was, you know, the Beatles or Pink yeah. Floyd you know, in the studio. So, so the last thing I want to ask about is, you know, at, at, at this point, right, it's been almost 30 years since, since that record. And, um, I think now his stature is, is one of like, he's, I mean, it goes without saying he's Bob Dylan. He's this sort of other level of, of, well, he's sort of become a national treasure. Yeah, you know, right. Him and Joni Mitchell, you know. So right. So better be nice to them before they die. You know? <laughs> exactly. So, so what do you think? Like, as someone who's worked with him, and as someone who has spent their life listening to his output, like, what do you think his legacy is, and and what? Why do you think he continues to like resonate as a writer, as a performer, singer, all that kind of stuff? Well, I mean, obviously, he sort of an almost single-handedly elevated pop music into something other than just, I love, you know, I mean, look at the influence he obviously had on the Beatles, you yeah. know, they went from writing like monosyllabic, syllabic love songs, like I want to hold your hand, you right. know, to like Norwegian wood and things yeah. like that, where, you know, suddenly, like, there was a literary not not i don't mean sort of in a pretentious way but people you know young people could take themselves seriously and think well here's somebody that you know this is actually like a real thing you know mm -hmm. like rambo was for a generation 100 years prior right you know for example and you know obviously inspired so many other people like i mean patty smith you know it's hard to imagine patty smith without bob dylan yeah you know having influenced her and so many other people and and then you know i mean he, he's also sort of you know a conduit like many of the great people from that era are and were like keith richards you know where you know you you got into the stones but then you thought well where the fuck did the stones come from you yeah, know right, right, right. And, and it's like keith you know richards obviously has a huge knowledge of of blues and you know everything and so it's not just like it just sort of happened out of nowhere, you know? Yeah. And, and so that's a continuum that to this day, you know, people sort of, you know, you know, there's a kind of an old saying that goes around Nashville sometimes. It's like, you know, you're working on something and you get to a point with the words and you say, like, well, what would Bob do? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And there's always going to be that. Like, well, if this was a Bob, if Bob Dylan, what would he? You know, how would he take this and make it interesting, you know, not just a, you know, another 
thing to sort of have going on while the mm. music's playing, you know? Yeah. Which, so, it, which, it, I mean, if, if, if you ever dreamt of having a, uh, that sort of level of cultural impact or impact on your art form, that's probably the most, that's maybe the peak of that where people start, you know, using you as the a reference. As, yeah. The, the reference. Yeah. It's kind of but an you know, amazing thing. There's, there's a, my favorite song on the record we did, didn't end up on the record <laughs> much huh. to my chagrin it it but it's a track and it really kind of to me sort of sums up him and his career in a sort of interesting way uh, the song is called, it ended up on a, a kind of a follow-up sort of best of it was like an extra track and the song is called a series of dreams okay and the song goes i was thinking of a series of dreams where everything stays down where it's wounded <laughs> and it, you know, and, and the, he actually did a video for it and someone had just done this montage of him through the years. And you think, well, that, that's, that's how it probably felt, you know? Yeah. Like, like, did this really even happen? You know, like, right. was I actually there? <laughs> cause you know, and it's interesting cause they made that movie. I'm not there, you know, mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. clearly a continuation of that idea that, you know, here's this person and this culture goes on around you, but you're sort of just an, a guy like, you know, well, it goes back. It goes back to what you were saying earlier about him, sort of all those things that, that he experienced like early on and in, in, in being a part of like the civil rights movement in that era and protest movement and in him sort of feeling like it happened to somebody else or or having that mindset. That's kind of a similar it's that that's that same kind of disassociation in, in, in the sense of feeling like is it a dream kind of thing? I can't even, I mean, I can't imagine. But I, I think he, I, my suspicion is he always just considered himself a good old fashioned songwriter. Yeah. You know, yeah. in, in, in the way that he was capable of doing yeah. that, you know, and, and everything beyond that is kind of what culture, what the culture imposes on somebody, you mm -hmm. know, yeah. because it's interesting. Like he, he, he never had any problem you know, you know, the old saying is good artists borrow, great artists steal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like he, he never had any problem like rewriting somebody else's piece of music and make putting his name on it. I mean, you know, so. Yeah, that was Malcolm Byrne on the call up. Thank you so much, Malcolm. Uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you all for listening. Um, who knows what the next episode will bring. We're going to do more of this. I love doing it. I really, really do. Um, you know, maybe we'll start getting some people here to do in-studio stuff, live stuff. Um, I, who knows? I, I'm really, really excited about it. If anybody has any ideas, suggestions, anything like that, um, get in touch. Let's, let's keep growing this thing. I think it's really, really cool. I'm glad that I'm grateful to connect for letting me do this and, uh, seeing where it goes. Um, so thank you all so much for listening. Until next time, this is The Call-Up, and uh, take care of yourselves.